Hey, Flatirons, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today. We know there are thousands of people around the world who call Flatirons their church home. If that's you, let us know below where you're tuning in from. And also, if today's message was especially impactful, share it with someone you love. Tell them why it meant so much to you. We're stoked you're here. Enjoy the service. Well, uh, Flatirons, I want to start off by telling you about one of my favorite places on earth. It's a place in the mountains of Colorado called Lost Valley Ranch. And maybe a couple of you have been there, but basically it's a dude ranch in Colorado where you get to pretend to be a cowboy for a weekend. And uh, I'm not a cowboy, okay? I actually borrowed this entire outfit today, okay? Like none of these clothes are mine, but I don't mind like jumping up on a horse and just seeing what happens. So I kind of like it. And we've gone up to Lost Valley. I've been up for a pastor's retreat before. And I just like knew this is a place my wife, Kara, would love to go because is Kara back in Kentucky. She grew up riding horses and riding, riding horses in the Colorado mountains is like the best that it can get. And so I saved up for Kara's 40th, 39th birthday. I took her to Lost Valley and we get on the horse ride and then the horses, they, they, they start to gallop and Kara immediately knows what to do. So she's like in the right stance and doing this thing. Like <clears throat> I just grab the knob in front of me, try to hold on and not let my man parts get crushed. Okay. Like that's all that's happening. I just have man parts in here. Okay. Uh, I, maybe I'll switch that for the 11. But anyways, if you watch Kara and I, you would know like there's a clear difference between the person who's been riding for a while and one who hasn't. All right, one of us is a natural and the other is just playing catch up. And in this series, Branded, as we're talking about money, I think money is the same way for, for all of us. For some of us, handling our money for one reason or another just comes naturally. Giving, saving, you know, like using our money, it's natural. But for others, it's something that just for decades, we have not been able to get a handle on it. And it's just stressing us out all the time. And at the same time, like we've learned the last two weeks, when we do money outside of God's design for it, it has the power to ruin way more than our checkbooks. It can ruin our jobs, our relationships, our families, so much more. And so that is why we're spending four weeks on this series. And right off the bat, I just got to compliment you all. Like the way that you've responded to this series, you've kept showing up, okay? Hundreds of you have gotten on the financial resources on the website. Hundreds of you have given for the very first time. Hundreds of you have increased your giving. It is just incredible how this church is responding to God's word and what Jesus says about generosity. And we've been learning some key truths about what God says about money. They're right here. These are the four truths for our four weeks. First of all, we're stewards, not owners. Second of all, first things first. We gotta get first things first. Third, you reap what you sow. And then lastly, watch out for outlaws and thieves. So two weeks ago, we learned the most important principle. Everything belongs to God. And he's entrusted everything that we have to steward it toward the things that God cares about. And then last week, we learned the principle of the first fruits. And I just thought it was so good that all throughout scripture, God said that the first fruit, so the firstborn, the first crops, the first 10% of our income, which we call the tithe, we return that to him. And this week, we're going to discuss the third principle. And we're going to look at the book of 2 Corinthians. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles at the back of every one of our campuses. But bring your Bibles to church. 2 Corinthians, it's a letter that was written by Paul. And Paul's one of the early leaders of the church. 
And he's taken up this offering for this group of people who lived in Israel who were in the middle of a famine. And so they don't have any food, they don't have any resources. And so what Paul's doing is he's reaching out to these different churches that he's planted all throughout the Roman Empire. And he's asking them to contribute to this offering. And so we're going to spend our time in two chapters of 2 Corinthians. We're going to start in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1 starts like this. Paul says, hey, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, so things are not going well, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So I want to just stop right there, okay? So uh, you combine these things, a severe test of affliction, so things are not going well, they have abundance of joy and then extreme poverty. So you add affliction, joy, and poverty, and somehow that wells up into a wealth of generosity from them. Paul says, for they gave according to their means, according to what they had, as I can testify, and then they gave beyond their means, beyond what they could afford, of their own accord. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And for if you were here last week, this is some recap from last week. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That would be the tithe. And then next, they gave themselves to Paul. They gave to Paul so that he could support these other churches. And accordingly, we urge Titus, one of the other leaders, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace, act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. So that word prove or proof, it comes up three other times in these two chapters. And Paul's trying to make it clear what we do with our money proves what matters most to us. Another translation that I grew up with makes it clear. This is the NIV. Paul says, hey, I'm not commanding you, so this is not a command from me, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So listen to this. Paul's saying, hey, I'm going to compare your giving against their giving, and that's how I'm going to test the sincerity of your love. Okay, even typing that made me feel uncomfortable this week, okay? Like that makes me feel uncomfortable, but that's what Paul says because Paul is not pulling any punches when he talks about generosity and its benefits in our lives and benefits to the people that it will help. You know why Paul never wrote anything explicitly about tithing? We get this question all the time. The reason he didn't is because people were already giving more than the tithe. Okay, when people encounter the hope of Jesus, they just naturally started giving, if you look at the early church in Acts 2, people are giving away entire fields, in entire houses. They're doing what Paul says, they're giving above and beyond their means. So why would you tell people that they needed to tithe when they're already giving way above and beyond? Okay, uh, comparison. Uh, I don't tell my kids that they need to clean their rooms if they're already cleaning the entire house on their own. 
Obviously, that's a very hypothetical example, okay? That's never happened in my house, okay? Never, never. But I've yet to, to meet the Christian who argues against the principle of the tithe because they're already doing what Paul says, giving above their means instead. You see, we see from Paul that giving is a test. When Jesus is talking about the power of the good news, he compares it to a farmer who's sowing seed in a field. And he gives these examples about why the gospel won't truly take root in our hearts. And he mentions these three enemies that keep the gospel from taking root. First, he mentions Satan. That makes sense. Second, he mentions persecution. Again, that makes sense. So you got Satan, persecution, and then third is what Jesus calls the deceitfulness of wealth. Look at how he writes about it. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, Jesus's language there is specific. He's saying that money, when it's put in the wrong place in our lives, it actually has this inherent ability to deceive us and it can hinder the gospel from taking root in our lives. See, Jesus teaches regularly, hey, it is not wrong to be rich, but at the same time, it can be hard to be rich because money has this ability to deceive us. You see, wealth can deceive us into thinking that we can put all of our safety and all of our security into what we have. Wealth can deceive us into thinking that if I just get a little bit more, then I'll feel better about myself. Wealth can deceive us into thinking that it's just all ours to begin with. And we're going to dive into something hard here. And I, I need you to hear this from my heart. Okay, this is coming from a pastor who loves you, who wants good for you, wants the freedom that Jesus promised for you. And there's a cowboy quote of the week for us. It goes like this. It says, if you climb in the saddle, be ready for the ride. Okay, that makes sense. If you climb in the saddle, be ready for the ride this morning. Flatirons, I hope that we are ready for the ride. Now, over the years, I've talked with couples and individuals that are going through tough financial times. They've got bills and they've got college debt, they've got child support, and it just seems like there's just more going out than there is coming in. And the idea of tithing comes up. And when people are struggling, like, it brings out all of my empathy. And I would say things like, well, at least start somewhere. Or give what you can. Or, or, or get out of debt and then you, you should start to give. But at the same time, the, the more that I've studied what Jesus has to say about this, I'm just not sure that's what Jesus would tell us. Okay, hear me. I think that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, it's probably more likely that God in the flesh would say the same thing that God said. In Leviticus 27.30, this is a recap from last week, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. I think Jesus would say that 10% belongs to the Lord and not to us. And I'll tell you, I, I do not like saying that to people who are struggling. But then I started just to think like, what if I started to give this kind of advice to people who are behind on their budget? Saying like, okay, so uh, whatever you're behind on your budget, let's say 500 bucks. You should, uh, here's my advice. Go find the nearest chain grocery store and find some stuff that's worth $500. And then you should just steal that stuff and sell it on eBay. And that's how you close the gap on your finances. That's... 
If that doesn't work, okay, you probably have some friends and you could go to their house. You know where they keep their good stuff. Take stuff from your friends and you can sell it on eBay and close the $500 gap. Or if that doesn't sound good to you, like it's probably easiest, go to your parents' house because you probably know where they keep their money, where they keep their checkbook and you can just steal from them. That would probably be the easiest. Guys, that's ludicrous advice. You'd be like, Jesse, like if you told people that you should not be a pastor, okay? My, my son was reading this, this manuscript before and he's like, dad, are you telling people to steal? I'm like, no, I'm not telling people to steal. But some of you in the room right now, you're, you're starting to think, Jesse, I don't like where this one is going. Because this is what I have told people to do. Hey, if you're behind on your budget, what belongs to the Lord, what belongs to the Lord, you should just take for yourself. Malachi says it this way. God says, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? You say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. Here's what I would say. I would wanna say, hey, if you're in a tight financial place, give what you can, but I just think that Jesus would say, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Now, again, I want you to hear my heart on this. I wanna give you a pass. Jesse wants to give you a pass. I'm sure that there are many valid reasons why you feel like you can't tithe. But we just gotta say, if we're being intellectually honest, do we think that the Jesus who raises the bar on the Old Testament law, who tells his followers to leave everything, who tells a rich man to sell everything, do we think that this Jesus is not gonna raise the bar for us too? I want you to think about this example of Jesus. It says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, barely anything. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So first principle from here, Jesus points out, there's a difference between a contribution and a sacrifice. To the wealthier part in this room, I I just wanna ask you, when is the last time that you gave and you felt it? I mean, I've been wrestling with this. My family, we've been living off of 90% for the last few decades. And the question I'm asking is like, Jesse, when is the last time that you gave to the point where you felt it, where your sacrificial giving, you said like, I can't do this thing because of our giving. And Jesus is saying there's a difference between a contribution and a sacrifice. But here's the other question that just strikes me right here. Why doesn't Jesus stop the woman who gave all that she had to live on? I mean, think about it. Why doesn't Jesus stop her from giving? There are plenty of reasons why he should have. I mean, number one, she couldn't afford it. Number two, the temple didn't need her money. Okay, the temple's already got enough. And third, the temple's actually like a bad investment. Jesus would end up overturning the tables in the temple later on. There are plenty of reasons to stop her. So why doesn't Jesus stop her? Because Jesus knows something about sacrificial giving. You see, he knew that through giving, it'll grow our faith. Through giving, we're giving God an opportunity to be our sole provider. Through giving, we start to untangle ourselves from fear and from worry. See, Jesus knew that there were more reasons to let the widow give than to stop her. And so that's why he lets her give it all. And the other question that I was thinking about is just like, why doesn't Jesus tell us what the widow got in return? Why doesn't Jesus say something like, because she gave it all, she's gonna get paid back a hundred times what she put in the offering. 
He doesn't tell us what she gets because that's not the point. See, trusting God is the point. The test is that he doesn't tell us how he'll provide. He just promises us that he will. And because when we take that step of trust, we take that step of faith, we get to experience his faithfulness for ourselves and our faith grows. Then Paul closes this section and he says this. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So giving, number one, is a test, but number two, giving is a trade. Paul's saying the reason I didn't have to tell the Macedonians to give, the the reason I didn't have to talk about tithing, it's because they just started giving naturally. They gave over and above their ability, not because I made a good argument for it, not because they were passionate about it. They, They did it because they understood how much they had already been given, that they got a trade that they didn't deserve, that in Jesus, they had all that they need so that they can feel free to give to others. And at this moment in history, this is just one of the most challenging things for us to understand, to believe that in Jesus, we have enough. Because every piece of marketing or advertising you see is designed around a principle. It's designed around telling you that you're not enough, but if you just buy fill in the blank, then you'll feel better. Okay, from makeup to fitness to clothing to vacations, you're getting hundreds of messages a day telling you that you aren't enough, but you can be enough if you just have enough. But the trick is you will never have enough until you know at your core that you are enough. I'm going to repeat that again. You will never have enough until you know at your core that you are enough. And on the cross, Jesus traded his riches for your poverty. He took on your identity and gave you his. And so through his sacrifice, no matter what others might say about you, no matter how you feel through the power of Jesus, you're enough. And so you can have enough just as you are with just what you have. In that famous verse, Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that athletes, they quote it before football games. Okay, in context, this verse is directly tied to the verse right before it. And it says this, it says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So what Paul's saying is that through Jesus, you have the power to be content in every situation and you can have enough. And because of that, you can live generously. So to see what generosity looks like, we're going to skip down to chapter 9, verse 6. You see, Paul spends all of chapter 8 talking about what the people did with giving, and he's going to spend chapter 9 talking about why the people gave. What did they understand about generosity, about money, about the kingdom of God? So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And it says, uh, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows gives bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves givers like the Macedonians who begged for the favor of being able to give. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. We're going to learn three things about sowing and reaping in this section. And the first is pretty straightforward. You reap what you sow. Now, this sounds like it should go without saying. Of course, you reap what you sow, okay? You plant wheat, you, you, you're gonna sow wheat. If you plant corn, you're gonna reap corn. We, if we all agree with that then, then why is it in our culture so many people want to reap what they haven't sown? Okay, they wanna have a healthy life, but they don't wanna live a healthy lifestyle. They wanna make a fortune, but they don't wanna work hard for it. Or they want this like deep inner peace, but they spend all their time distracting themselves rather than practicing peaceful habits. As a culture, we want to reap what we haven't sown. And I think sometimes when it comes to, to giving, oftentimes I'll hear a version of once I reap, then I'll sow. Okay, you've probably heard this before. God, if you help me land that big deal, then I'll tithe. Okay, God, once I make blank amount of money a year, then I'll start to tithe. And a pastor friend, he, he, he was telling this story. He was talking to a guy in his church and they're talking about tithing. And this guy said, hey, Pastor Steve, I, w- I, was, I was tithing. I started tithing when I was making $50,000 a year. So I'm tithing $5,000 a year. But I've been doing well in business now. Now I'm making $300,000 a year. And the tithe on that is $30,000, okay? Giving away 5,000, that makes sense. But giving away like $30,000, I, I don't know if I can afford to do that. And so Steve says, hey, can I pray for you? And the guy says, yeah. And Steve says, hey, God, will you please reduce my friend's income back to $50,000 so that he can afford to tithe? I mean, guys, the principle of you reap what you sow, it inherently means you have to sow before you reap. Paul says that when we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. He says, when we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. And when we sow bountifully, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people. They're talking about how when they were under like significant financial pressure, they still chose to give, whether it was tithing when the math didn't add up, whether it was giving to a person that that God told them to give to, even though they didn't really have the money to do that. The stories of like sacrificial, this does not make sense giving. Then what happens is random checks come in the mail and business deals go through. And so often the amount that they receive is the exact amount to the penny that they gave away. I want to show you one of the stories of faithful giving from our church right now. Let's watch this video together. I'm thankful for the struggle overall. There's times I'm not, but I'm thankful for the struggle just to help with the priorities. Meet the Ostriker family, Jonathan, Kelsey, Teddy, Milena, and Hank. It's Henry. Sorry, Henry. This journey is a winding road. Let's start here. Johnny is from Germany. Salut. Was geht? Kelsey from right here in Colorado. Here's where things get fun. Jonathan and Kelsey met while traveling separately in Australia. Through connections, they reunited back in Colorado. Then moved to Germany, then off to Texas, and eventually boomerang back to Colorado. Whew. Come on, let's get to the good part. In 2016, along came Hank. No, it's Henry. 
2018, we welcome Lena. In 2021, Theodore enters the crew. Everybody good? We all caught up? Nice. We haven't been in a situation where we've had more money than we know what to do with. I still, sometimes I tithe and then it's like, oh, okay, how you gotta provide God. Cause for us, a couple hundred dollars, here, like, it means a lot. Mama Kelsey is a stay-at-home mama. What are these? What color is it? Jonathan is a security guard, working hard just to make ends meet. Somehow he's able to make it all work so, so we can pay all our bills. Sometimes I don't know how, but God's providing, uh, even though we have a very low income. God is totally trustworthy. I mean, he's taking care of us 100%. Like every family, every month, the Ostrikers have money coming in and bills piling up. But before they deal with this, they always give this. How does this add up? Yeah, Kelsey and Jonathan came to see me probably two or three weeks ago. Meet Michael Kane, Flatiron CFO, the money guy, and arguably the wisest man in the building. I said, I, I just got to stop and ask you guys, why are you giving to the church when every month... And for what they told me for years, they're they're just scraping by, right? And that's when uh, Kelsey told me, she says, because it's not ours. And I was like, wow, I can't count the number of time on one hand that somebody has done or has been in that situation and has still been faithful to God. I just had the, the complete wrong mindset about it. It was important to tithe, but I expected something back, especially in the financial aspect. The biggest change to me came from changing my mind from away from the prosperity gospel to he's sovereign and he's almighty and he is the creator of the universe and he doesn't owe me nothing. It's not a give to, to get kind of a thing. Like I do totally believe in the the principle of sowing and reaping and I we have sown faithfully and our harvest might look different than we expect or just come later than we expect and it's worth it because of who he, he is and what he's doing. And just sometimes there's like a, there's this heavy burden of the finances, but there's also a freedom in just like having the mindset, God, it's yours. It's almost the widow's might, right? Where you go, you could use that for so much more. Why are you giving to God? And again, the story is, it's, it's, not, it's not mine, it's his. Man, so proud of... Kelsey and Jonathan, and, and that's a story of so many of us in the church. And there are these stories of miraculous provision, but they're not necessarily stories about just increasing income. You see these people, they're so often, they're just giving back the amount that they gave away. It's not as much about increasing an income as it is about increased faith. Okay, God, I did what you told me to do, even when I didn't feel like it, even when I didn't know how it was going to work out. And God, like you said you would, you provided. We sowed obedience and we reaped faith. For Kara and I, throughout our marriage, we've tithed in. Uh, I'm grateful for a good example from my parents, from the good teaching from a church to give this principle early. And uh, we've tried to instill this principle of tithing uh, on our kids and stewardship with our kids. And at the same time, one of our student pastors asked my 13-year-old Gray if he tithes. And Gray said, uh, what's tithe? And I was like, oh man, we've got work to do. Okay, like, great, come on. But uh, for Kara and I, there was this one year where we had just had Gray, our second kid, and 
Kara was working less because we didn't have childcare, and I was working as a youth pastor. I was making $40,000 a year, and our son Gray was a December baby. Anybody have a December baby that they basically split two years of deductibles, you know? And so he had to spend a week in the ICU for surgery, so we maxed out our deductible in one December and then again in January, and we stopped tithing to pay our medical expenses. Kind of what was going on in my head is I was just like, hey, I'm making 40 as a youth pastor, but I probably could be making $60,000 in a corporate job. And so that sacrifice is actually my tithe, okay? Actually, if I could make 60 in another job, then I'm actually sacrificing 50%. That's way more than a tithe. And over the rest of the year, I just like, I tried not to think about it. And we got to the end of the year and I, we didn't have any extra money in the bank. And at the same time, I just had this conviction like, oh gosh, like we still need to tithe. And so we got a loan for $4,000 and we didn't know how we'd pay it back. We were like, maybe we can use some of our tax return and that'll cover some of it. And we paid the year's tithe in December on a loan. Can I tell you, like, I want to tell you what happened the next year after we took that step of faith and obedience. The next year, we paid back the loan over time. There was no miracle story, okay? There was no check for $4,000 in the mail, all right? Like, you're like, oh, that's what's gonna happen, Jesse. And can I be honest with you? I think for us in that moment, that was actually a very good thing. Because look, if, if every time that we give to God in faith, God returns to us in kind, eventually we're gonna look at him less like a master or a Lord and more like a cosmic butler, okay? Like, God, I do this, I take the step of faith, and then you just provide for me in kind. But I'm telling you, God has no interest in being our heavenly vending machine, all right? That act of faith did not expand our income, but it did expand our capacity. You see, just like God promises, like Paul writes about, I had everything I needed to do everything that he had called me to do, and God brought us through it. And we had this ability, this newfound ability to endure. It reached a whole new level. And here's the thing. We needed that new level of endurance for what God was going to ask us to do next. See, God gave us more, even though it wasn't more money. And for us, uh, for Karen and I, I don't ever want us to get behind on tithe and offering again. Uh, the reason we got behind on tithing was because the tithe wasn't first, like we talked about last week. It came after everything else. You see, if the tithe is our first route, we'll never have to go into debt because of tithing. It would be the Starbucks afterwards or the vacations afterwards, everything afterwards. So Kara and I, we started doing what we do with every important financial decision in our lives. We automate what's important. Okay, every important decision in my life is pretty much automatic. Do you pay your mortgage by remembering every month to write a check to the mortgage company and then mailing it off? Like, no, that's not what we do. We don't even think about it. We automate our mortgage, we automate our 401k, our savings, everything we can. And so that's why Kara and I, we set up recurring giving. Because every month, our tithe and our offering is already designated and set aside. Because here's a principle right here. Automation trumps determination. We can actually pre-decide to give first by us setting up recurring automatic giving. And I want you to look at what Paul says happens when we give. It's in, chap it's in chapter 9, verse 10. He says this. He says, 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's our resources, that's what we have, will supply, that means we'll give you enough, and will multiply, that means I'll give you more than you gave, your seed for sowing, and I'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So first we learned you reap what you sow. And then second, we learn you reap more than you sow. And if in that scripture, there's a word that any of us would get stuck on, okay? It's the word enrich. Okay, you, you read it, you're like, this sounds like the prosperity gospel because we live in a culture where it's like poor, in our culture, poor is good and rich is bad. Personally, I know a lot of wealthy Christians who walk around with guilt for what they have. But look at this, look at this. To Jesus, the dividing line isn't between rich and poor. The dividing line is between generous and greedy. See, no one should feel guilty when they're practicing good stewardship. Because there are some people in this church, and they don't care if anybody knows their names. They, they don't want the credit for it. But out of their wealth, every Christmas, there are dozens and dozens of kids who get to have Christmas because of their generosity. Because of their resources, they give heavily to our missions partners. They're taking care of single moms. They, they find young staff and young volunteers. And they're like, how can I find a way to bless you for what you're doing? They'll say, like, use our house for a getaway. Use our house for a retreat. They offer childcare to young moms who are trying to balance ministry and, and babies. They've been blessed. And so their posture is to look for ways to bless others. They see themselves as stewards, not owners. And so they're just trying to figure out how do we sow seeds of generosity to bless others? Who does that scripture say that God gives more to? The scripture says you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way. It says that God wants to enrich people who are generous so that they can be even more generous. And if right now you got like flashing lights in your head, that sounds like the prosperity gospel to you. I want to clear that up right now. Okay, the prosperity gospel goes like this. You give so that God will give you more. But biblical generosity is this. You give because God's already given you enough. The examples of those preachers who are saying, hey, if you give $1, then God's going to give you 10, the prosperity gospel. That's not being generous. That's being transactional. Okay, if all you wanted from your generosity was just to have more money for you, you care less about your faith, you care less about helping others, etc. You're just trying to get more money. God would be a bad God if he perpetuated your Christianized greed. Okay, if the only reason that we're generous is to get more, God cannot and he will not bless that. But biblical generosity, it starts from a place where we realize that no matter what's in our bank account, God's already given me enough so I can be generous with what I have because God's the one who gave it to me and he'll supply me with what I need in the future. I can be generous with what I have because he who supplies seed for the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply my seed for sowing. And out of that, our generosity and your money, it has an ultimate purpose. And that closes up this section in verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, those saints in Israel, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
And so these principles, number one, you reap what you sow. Number two, you reap more than you sow. And then the last thing we learn about reaping and sowing is that others reap when you sow. When you sow seeds of generosity, it will result in supplying the needs of the saints in many thanksgivings to God. When we're generous in God's way, others' needs get met, others get what they need, and all the glory goes not to us, but instead it goes to God. Others reap when you sow. I want you to think about this. Have you ever noticed the older people in your life that you admire? I'm not talking like celebrities, people on social media, anything like that, but like real people you see up close. They, they might be different in background. They might be different in work history. They might be different in income, but typically they all have something in common. They're all generous people. They may have a little, they may have a lot, but with what they have, they're generous. They're generous with their money. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their lives. Think back to the parable of the sower that Jesus talks about. They've made an intentional choice to not let the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the gospel, choke out the freedom and the joy and the life that they receive from Jesus. They've untangled themselves through it all, through intentional generosity and through sacrificial giving. Here's the truth. You don't reap a life of fulfillment by sowing seeds of scarcity whether that's selfishness or fear or greed. The word fulfillment, it literally means to be filled to the full. And sowing seeds of scarcity will always have you wanting more, but never feeling fulfilled. We can all think of some of the wealthiest people who at the same time are some of the most unhappy at the same time. What we have does not equal fulfillment. But instead... You reap a life of fulfillment by sowing seeds of generosity with your money, with your life, with your time, with your wisdom. The promise of Jesus is that you'll be fulfilled as you continue to give it away. That you're a conduit for God's blessings to pass through you and into the people and the purposes he cares about. Okay, you're not a reservoir that collects, you're a river that transports. And where a reservoir can never get full enough, the river, it just always has enough. And that's the promise of Jesus. Jesus gives seed not to the keeper and not to the reaper. He gives seed to the sower. And flat irons in this, I, I want so much for you in, in this area. I want you to experience the freedom that Jesus talks about and the abundance that Jesus talks about to, to be the kind of people that other people who don't know anything about Jesus, they look at and they go, there's just something different about them. And this happens when we live with the same type of generosity that Jesus did. And so today I want to ask you, what step of generosity do you need to take? Maybe the first step for you is to get on the website and just look up some of the different resources about biblical stewardship. Or maybe for you, you have never tithed before. And this is the week that you say, okay, I'm finally gonna test God's faithfulness and I'm gonna take a step of faith myself. Or maybe you've been giving for a while and this week you need to pray about what would sacrificial giving look like for you? See, a life of fulfillment starts with a step of generosity. I want to wrap up, tell you a story about a good friend of mine, Noah. He pastors a great church down in Nashville, and he tells this story about being on a plane. 
And the entire plane is celebrating the guy who's sitting next to him because the man had just flown 2 million miles on this airline. And so everybody on the plane is just clapping for him, but the man's not celebrating. The man's not even smiling. He's just looking forward with a blank stare. He says, they're clapping for the thing that I actually regret the most. Because all those miles, because of the travel he gave himself up to throughout his career, he built a great career, but it cost him his marriage, his kids, his health, his happiness. And people were clapping, and at the same time, his soul was dying. And Noah wrote this. He wrote, if you achieved every goal that you're chasing, would it fulfill you or would it kill you? Jesus said it this way. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What would that man pay to, have, to give all those miles back and get back what he lost? Flatirons, Jesus came and he offered us life to the full. He said that through him, we would find life. And then by becoming more like him, we would experience fulfillment. And what did Jesus do? John 3, 16 said, God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his one and only son. And through giving up his life, Jesus made life to the full possible for us all. So this morning, flat irons, let's take a step of faith. Let's take a step of generosity. Let's take a step of becoming more like Jesus. So God, we, right now in this moment, we remember the sacrifice that you did make. God, the way that before we had done anything for you, God, you did something for us. And God, you prove once and for all, God, you are a God that will keep his promises. So God, I know that right now there's just, there's some tension in our hearts going like, God, I wanna trust you. God, I, I just don't know how it works. God, I'm praying that you bring what you promise is peace that surpasses understanding to us in this moment. Where God, you say, hey, I will come and be your peace. I will come and be your provision. I will come and be the one that you can put your trust and hope in. So God, as we sing and as we worship, we put our hope, we put our trust, we put our security, we put our provision in you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we worship. Amen. Thank you so much for watching Flatirons Church Online. We are creating new content and streaming every Sunday. So if you wanna stay connected with us, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And hey, if you believe in what God's doing here, you wanna help us impact the world, go ahead and hit the Give Now button and you will help us reach people in a lost and broken world. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you right here next weekend.